0: That was the word of the Lord. A
1: thousand people freezing their butts off, waiting to worship. He's spending the day in Huxtauni, Pennsylvania. Phil? Mad! Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... It's Groundhog Day! <laughs> ...in Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day, over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bing! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day! Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now, we could do whatever we want. He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life Mm. like there's no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because not i am an immortal i have been stabbed shot burned frozen electrocuted i'm a god you're a god i'm a god i'm not the god he's out of his gourd but to get what his heart wants most what are you looking for Phil? a date for the weekend means living this day over again <laughs> till he gets it right
0: believe it or not i studied 19th century french poetry
1: <laughs> what a waste of time
0: i studied 19th century
1: french poetry La fille qui j'aime You speak French. Oui. Bill Murray. Andy McDowell. To the groundhog. I always drink to world peace. But what should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. He might be Okay. Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old.
0: So have you ever just kind of thought to yourself during your weekly routine, I've done this before. This seems to be like happening again. Like, I do this every day. I get up, and I eat, and I work, and I come home, and I drive, and and I eat, and I... see the same people and it's like almost like you're stuck like in a routine i don't know if you've seen that movie or not that's most of it but uh (laughs) it's well worth watching funny movie of course it's not about god but uh what if you were given a chance to relive 2018 over again The question today is, how can we make 2019, 2019, and not 2018 all over again? What would make it different if you got to if you got to do it over again? More money, more power, uh, more vacation time. And then, secondly, like, how come more comes to our mind rather than less? What about less money, less vacation time, less power? seems like we always think of more stuff, better, less stuff, worse. Kind of one of our collective pathologies, I guess, in the American dream culture. But I believe there's a way, there's a truth, and a life. I believe that there is a way that can... But we can escape this sort of rat race. There's a true departure. I believe that the measure of stuff is not the measure of our life. I believe that the way out is something other, and I propose that true change for 2019, beneficial, life giving change, is attainable to any who would pursue it. I believe that God has promised us the opportunity and power to change. By his divine power, Peter says, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And so I want to talk about this this scripture, talk through the scripture and just look at what does that mean for us to live a godly life? What does it mean for us to bring change to 2019? What would it look like for us to grow spiritually in that time? So the foundations for growth, verses three and four. Peter begins to talk about spiritual growth. He talks about pursuing God. You can play that Play that clip. So I have another clip just to think about as, I'm, as I read this passage. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed to the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through and then heads of wheat are formed and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle for harvest time has come. Time and again, the scripture gives us this analogy of growth as a seed. And it's so important. And I want to encourage you today to pursue growth, but you have to understand this idea that God is helping us to understand. God shows people to bear fruit. That's why he chooses people. That's why he calls us to himself. However, it can't happen apart from God's work. And it's a matter of faith on our part. So when Peter says, God has given you everything that you need for a godly life or for life and godliness, he's talking about this idea. And notice as as this seed begins to grow, it's such an amazing miracle that this little thing that's just dead. You buy them in bags, they're all dried out. And you put them in the ground and they, they, they spring to life. But it grows down first and then it grows up. So Peter says, I'm writing to those who share the same faith. Peter knows what he's talking about. He's talking about the precious, what he calls the precious promises of God. He knows how precious those are to himself. And he knows what it means to grow in Christ because we get to see Peter, a picture of Peter in the scripture growing this is the man who followed Jesus for three years who on the about the time that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to be arrested and mistreated and killed and he's telling his, his disciples I'm going to be killed I'm going to be mistreated and Peter's the one that stands up and says no way I'll fight for you I'll fight to the death for you and Jesus says, Peter, this very night you're going to deny that you even know me three times. And then it happens. Caleb mentioned this last week. So Peter, crushed, weeping, runs out. But Jesus does not just discard Peter at that point. Jesus shows up, just like he said, back from the dead. And he, he, he grabs Peter and he says, come with me, Peter. And he says, I want you to feed my sheep. And he walks with Peter and he restores him. And he says, Peter, I've prayed for you. So we get to see Peter, this man who's so afraid of a little girl, who's saying, you're from Galilee, aren't you? You're one of Jesus' followers. And he's like, no, no, it's not me. I don't know him. When just before he said, I'm going to fight to the death, you know. Fight this little girl to the death for you, Jesus. No, he's afraid of the little girl accusing him of being with Jesus. And then after Jesus restores him, after Jesus says, you're gonna be filled with power and receive the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up in the middle of Jerusalem at the temple on the day of Pentecost when all this crazy stuff is happening and people are speaking out other languages they shouldn't really understand and others can understand them and saying, how does he know my language? And of course the enemy's there and he sends out his tools to say, oh, they're just drunk (laughs) so they can talk another language. Peter says, no. Peter stands up in front of, Thousands of people and says, no, they're not drunk. This is what's going down. This is what Jesus promised. Jesus promised salvation. So Peter's transformed from being afraid of one little girl to standing up in front of a hostile crowd. And he preaches a sermon and says, you killed Jesus. It's your fault. You condemned him to death. And it was God's plan. And the people are, are convicted and they say, what should we do to be saved? And the church is born on that day. So we see Peter saying, to those of you that have that the same faith that I have, Peter understands the value of knowing Christ and what it means to grow in Christ. And Peter assumes growth. He says, as you grow. Peter knows that those who put their faith in Christ, that those who are following Jesus are going to grow spiritually, are going to mature because when you're when you come to christ you're born again it's like you're a baby and you begin to grow and that's the work of god in us god does not intend for us to make some sort of religious pledge like like peter i'm gonna fight for you lord to the death because god well knows that we won't do it it's just like a new year's resolution so peter peter assumes that people are going to grow when they follow jesus When you know Jesus that you're going to grow Because you're going to have more grace And more peace in the knowledge of him He uses the word knowledge Now Peter's using this sort of as a special As a special word It's like a word that means more than just knowledge But Peter's using a word that assumes That you know the whole story of what Jesus has done It's a bigger idea it's the whole knowledge of God and Jesus and the spirit and the plan of salvation. It's an understanding of our place in the kingdom and how one gets into the kingdom of God. It's also about hope and a confident understanding and trust in God's ability to fulfill his promises. There's a lot that goes into what Peter's saying when he says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of Christ. It's not just knowing in your head. It's not just having memorized the, uh, the story of God or learned Bible, Bible stories. But it's, it's a knowledge that works out in your life. It's something that you know and do. It affects every part of you. And it's understanding. It's a knowledge that's evidenced by a different type of life. A life that's that's full, filled with hope and filled with love. It's a knowledge that's thoroughgoing. For instance, some of you drive cars or you've ridden in cars. And if you had a car and it broke down, which cars do, uh, And then you talk to your friend, oh, my car broke down. You know, I say to Zoe, oh, my car broke down, Zoe. She said, well, maybe you could fix this or that. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And Zoe and I know, you know, roughly the same. I I know a little bit more about cars than Zoe. But uh, if I talk to a mechanic, I said, hey, my car broke down. The knowledge that he has, I have a friend who's a mechanic that's like an encyclopedia of car knowledge. I could just call him about any car, like Hey, I have a 80, I have a 97 Honda Civic. Oh, yeah, it's the Yeah. Okay, what's wrong with it? And then it's a run down the list. This is the kind of knowledge that Peter's talking about that he wants us to grow in about the plan of salvation, about the plan of God to come down and become a man, to to become, to live among us, to give up his life so that us, normal people, could be accepted by God, could receive the sacrifice that Jesus made and come into the kingdom of God and be adopted into his family. That's the kind of knowledge that Peter's talking about is talking to like a mechanic versus talking to just your buddy that knows about the same that you know about cars. It's a thoroughgoing knowledge. Getting so, getting to know someone so well that you can discern how they'll respond to a situation. Or if you hear a report about them, that doesn't sound like them. You say, you know what? You know what? Jesus is really just a jerk and he he just really wants your money. That's all that Jesus cares about you know, it doesn't really sound like Jesus to me because I know him and he he was not like that. God has made a way for us to know him and it starts in his story, culminating in the life of Jesus. Jesus couldn't be any clearer in answer to the question, what is God like? Jesus and his disciples are sitting around and one of his disciples says, Jesus, Philip, he says, Lord, show us the Father. And we'll be satisfied. Show us what God is like, and we'll be satisfied. Listen to what Jesus says Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. That's an amazing statement for Jesus to make if it's not true. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you ever wonder, what is God like? What does God look like? What would God do? You can look at the life of Jesus. You can listen to the words of Jesus. That's what God is like. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, let's think back to the analogy of the seed growing in the soil. God has prepared the place, the power, and the purpose for us to grow. This, is what, this happens by faith in Jesus' work on the cross, where we lay down our self-righteousness and our self-reliance, our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, and we receive forgiveness of sins and new life infused with the empowering presence of God. This is Peter's starting point. Our hearts, in a sense, are like that soil that needs to be cultivated. Attempting to know Jesus on our own terms, attempting to live for God on our own terms, is like trying to lift yourself off the ground. I'm sure as a kid, at some point, you might have tried this. Put a rope around, like your jump rope around your feet And think to yourself Can I lift myself off the ground I don't know, if you haven't tried it Go home and give it a shot Um, You might need to work out a little bit Get some strength Um, It's futile It's a funny thing to try to lift yourself off the ground That's that's really what it's like To try to follow God on your own strength Because you can't, you just don't You don't have it in you It's impossible, so to speak God has prepared the foundation for growth. God has prepared a way for us to grow. And this is what Peter's getting to. So what's the, why Why would, what what comes next then? Everything's ready. Well, you grow. That's what comes next. And the secret of growth is what God has done, knowledge of him and his promises. He's the first mover. Our response cannot be a means to being made right. God is saying, I've made you mine I declare you right and you'll be with me. This is the first step toward growing toward spiritual growth in any meaningful way. To be transformed by God, to respond to God today because what he has because of what we do has to be based on who we are, not the other way around. God transforms us when we accept the message of the good news of Jesus. When we accept the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, When we cry out to God for salvation, he grants it to us. He's he's the first one. He's the one that already went to the cross. He's the one that laid down his life for us while we were still rebels, while we were still sinners. Jesus went to the cross to make a way for us to grow. And God transforms us. He makes us a new creature. Think about the car again. When, When we come to Christ... God fills us with his spirit. And it says that we become new creatures. The old things passed away. It says that we have new ability, new power. It's like you had a car, okay? And you like driving it around. Maybe it was a nice car. It ran, okay? But then when God, when you're transformed by God, it's like God puts you into an airplane. And not growing is sort of like trying to drive the airplane around just like you drove your car. You jump in the airplane and you just hit the gas and start just taxiing around, you know, like driving down the streets on your airplane. And then you realize, this is really awkward. Like, what is God doing? This new car barely fits on the road. Everyone's honking at me. The wind, like, I can't go through drive throughs anymore. I got to park out on the street. This is so awkward what God has done to give me this new thing. And the, the whole time, God's sitting in the pilot seat. You're the co-pilot, by the way. Uh, God's never the co-pilot. And, uh, He's letting you drive this new life around and he says, no, let me show you what this new life is for. Go faster than you've ever gone before and then pull, pull up. Let's get this thing off the ground and understand what this new life is made to do. It's not a car. It's not the same old life that you had. You can't just continue to live it like you live it. You know how fast you can get through traffic now? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a miracle? He says, take it for a spin. So, how do we get this new life off the ground, so to speak? How do we get growing? So Peter gives us this weird list. Second Peter one through five. Or Second Peter one, five through nine. Peter says, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self control, and self control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for anyone, for everyone. So this process of growth has a crucial first step: faith, faith in Christ, and the knowledge of God and His promises. Peter talks about these promises that transform us, the hope in these promises, the belief in these promises, the trust in the promise. How do, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you uh, rely on a promise? It's hope. Because a promise is something that's in the future. You have hope. And we can begin to walk in Christ. And it's it's an interesting process that he outlines here. It takes time. It's like being a baby. For a while, you need to be fed. For a while, you need to be cared for. For a while, you just can't really do anything except be a demanding little tyrant. And you just scream when you want to eat, and you scream when you want to go to sleep. And then these two parents just do everything for you but when you're like 17 if you act like that that is a problem because life God's given us this analogy you're supposed to grow up you're supposed to mature in life you're supposed to proceed down the road you're supposed to get to the point where you can take that spoon yourself and shove that slop into your mouth and not have to rely on your parents to scoop it in anymore that was a liberating day for me as a as a parent that's not the best parent to be able to hand off that spoon just say feed yourself kid that's so awesome because before it was like come on just get it all in the, come on and you're just like sliding the spoon on their face and they're like pff, pff. And it's just like you know and then they just start eating it's like yes until they figure out that they can do a lot more with their food than just put it in their mouth then there's more lessons right so they're getting the fork down the spoon down and then they get potty trained wow that's awesome First of all, you get a raise, no more diaper, buying diapers. It's just amazing to just tell it like, I have to go potty, go for it. I'm not holding you back, <laughs> like, it's awesome. This process of maturity brings joy to us, it brings, it brings life. It's, it makes us happy to mature, and when you're a kid, and you're like, look, I can go potty by myself, and your parents are like, yes, and you're like, yes, I love it. That process of growth is what we were made for. Your spiritual calling in Christ is no different. Your spiritual life in Christ is no different. God did not call you to just live in a sort of a stagnant pool of frustration. He didn't call you to just wallow in your filth and just wear spiritual diapers your whole life. God has called us to grow and mature. So what does that look like? Peter lays out this list of things. God wants us to to be able to walk on our own. The other other part of uh, growing up, I remember learning how to walk. The little kid toddles the toddler you know it's like they're just on the edge of like falling over on their face at any moment and you know, as a parent you're like uh, you know I remember Zoe my daughter my oldest daughter learning how to walk and she first she got to the point where she could walk by holding my fingers I remember because it was a painful stance I had to take for my back to like keep up with her and she just did not want to stop just like around and around and around in circles just like uh, and I'd be like okay so like Let's take a rest And then she would just get mad, you know When, when she couldn't walk on the hand, fingers anymore But she can walk on her own I shouldn't have to hold my fingers anymore uh, Because eventually I stopped letting her Just walk on the fingers And she took her own first steps And then she was like, oh, I can do it on my own This is awesome That process of growing is so It's so fun as a parent to see How much more does God delight in us growing God's the true parent No, no matter what kind of parents you had no matter what kind of what kind of father, mother you had, God's the perfect one. God's the one that rejoices in our development and our growth. It's amazing to see growth, but we shouldn't be expecting it. He's the one that's taking away his fingers as we're learning to walk spiritually, and we think to ourselves, "God, where are you at? Like, ah, I, I can't make it." But all we are is just a little toddler, and He's saying, "You can. I've got you to this point." Take another step. Take another step. You can do it. You're not going to be a baby forever. Peter says, in view of all this, or for this very reason, make every effort, apply all diligence to growing. I want you to put these these ideas into your resolve this year as you think about next year is going to be different. Next year I'm going to change. Next year is going to be something I'm going to do something new. Think about this. Think about spiritual growth. Understand who you are and what God has done. And let that drive 2019. There's a famous quote from William Carey. Uh, If if you've never heard of him, he's an old school guy, missionary. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I love that quote. Because there's the expectation. There's the expectation of God's precious promises that Peter talks about. And then there's the, let's try it out. God's made these promises. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to pull back on the lever and fly this thing. See where I go. And it's all by faith. So Peter gives us this list. And it's it's like a staircase sort of of spiritual growth. It's not a list of virtues. It's not a legalistic to-do list. It's a chain of ideas. Think about the plant again the picture of this plant. Remember when it, it grew out of the ground and the leaves started to grow? That didn't happen until the roots had grown. So there's a structure that could sort of support that growth. So there's, there's the process of growth starts underneath, you could say, inside of us, and then it grows out. This chain of growth are indicators predicated on that subterranean work in our hearts. Our roots are growing down into Christ's love, the scripture says. And we are strengthened in the spirit. And then these leaves or flowers or fruit begin to appear. So let's understand what this what this is. What this is not, I, I understood the scripture, I thought. You know, in my spiritual growth, uh, I, w- I started out hyper, uh, what would you say? Just like, I'm trying to think of non-bad words to describe myself. Uh a hyper antinomianist for the theologians, like <laughs> I was a total anarchist, like just skate or die. I don't know if you guys ever heard that saying? And uh, I just skate, destroy myself, not care. I'm gonna be dead by the time I'm 30 anyway. Who get you know who cares about life? Who cares about anything except my own experience? And uh, when God brought me to Himself, I was just I just wanted to, like, sort of take that, whatever that was, and just pour it into God. Like, I'm just going to do this, you know? And I remember I just made a shirt that had the Christian flag on it, and it said discipline. And I was just, like, all about that discipline. It was like, walking in Christ is discipline. And it's just the opposite of the undisciplined life that I lived before. And I'm just going to do it. And so when I would read scriptures like this, add to your faith virtue, and I would think, yes, I'm going to do that. So I was trying to lift myself up. I'm trying to lift myself off the ground by adding to my. I'm going to do. I'm going to add to my own faith something. I'm going to help God out. No, God does not need my help to make me grow. He gives us faith, which is to trust in Him and allow Him to do that work that begins to enable us to reach out and pursue the opportunity that we have to grow. And so there's there's a quote uh, just in the translation of this. It's hard to say it. It's hard to say it from Greek to English. It's hard to say it in a clear way because it could make it sound like it's a list of things that you should do to make your faith better. That's not what it. That's not what it says. By means of your faith, supply virtue, would be a good way to translate this. This word. This. This term. Each virtue is the means of producing the next, but it's difficult to capture this nuance in English. In an English translation which can also reproduce the forms of the sorides without awkwardness. The uh, the usual English rendering, add to your faith virtue, is not what the Greek says. So just to be clear, by means of your faith, like let your faith supply the virtue. Let your faith work itself out that it begins to supply this moral excellence or virtue. It's another term that we wrestle with translating into English. So by means of your faith, supply virtue. By means of your faith, let your faith supply a moral excellence in your life. Let your knowledge about God and your trust in him transform the way that you live and the way that you interact. And what it looks like is what God looks like. The Bible has very little to say about a secular or Catholic list of virtues that are based on ancient Greek philosophies. The people of God are meant to look like Christ. Virtue here is a hard word to translate, but if we look later in Peter, I think we can help, we can gain a better understanding of what he's saying. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he uses the same term, and listen how he uses it. He says, you are not like that. He's talking to those who have accepted the work of Christ, and they're, they're adopted into God's family, and he says, you're not like that. You are chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The, the, the term there, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. That's where he use that word virtue again. This is what we begin to understand. You're God's own possession. So as a result, you can show the virtues of God, Peter is saying. Or the excellencies of God. So then let your faith, your trust in God, provide you with opportunities to show others the goodness of God. Whether by word or by deed. So it's not make your faith better with all these rules. It's let your faith show others what God is like. Show others the virtue of God. The excellency of God. You can be a little picture of what Jesus is like. Just like when Philip asked, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me you've seen the father for some of us who are following christ wherever you're at in your workplace in your family in your neighborhood in your school you're the jesus that people are going to see so how do we show others the excellency of god pray for your coworkers your neighbors your friends your enemies give generously Share your time, invest in people. It's all the things that we see Jesus doing. This is saying, let your faith show. Whatever let, let what you trust in be made known to people. Let the idea that you trust Jesus and not the gods of our culture show through. James, in the book of James in scripture, the scripture teaches us that faith the faith that the Bible talks about, this word trust, this uh, this idea of considering something trustworthy is demonstrated by what we do, not just what we say. Understand, faith is not holding on to a set of beliefs without evidence. Rather, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith shows the goodness of God. <coughs> Excuse me. I lost my place. Just imagine I'm flipping through the Bible. If it makes you feel better. So faith. Let's go through this list real quick. Faith brings virtue. Faith brings moral excellency. By means of your faith, supply these things. Here Peter speaks not of the concept of salvation, like, like I talked about before. This this uh, this faith, this trust in God, brings about this virtue. Brings about the demonstration of what God is like to other people because. You're living in such a way that you're not trusting in the things of this world. Your life looks differently. As you think about the idea of your faith, like, who do you really trust in? Examine your life. Think about your day. Think about your week. Think about the decisions you make when it comes to important things in your life, how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to spend your time, who you're going to befriend. Are you trusting in God in those things? Is your faith driving those decisions? How does your faith inform those decisions? Pray and plan this year to walk out, to show off, to demonstrate faith in every aspect of your life. Let God lead you to opportunities to show others His goodness. So this faith is the, is the starting point, this trust in God. It's by faith alone that we're brought into the family of God. And then this faith brings about this moral excellence, a demonstration of what God is like to others. And this brings about knowledge. Now, here, here Peter shifts gears and uses a different word for knowledge, and he's talking about the practical wisdom, the practical knowledge. He speaks of the concept of salvation before, but now he's talking about street smarts. He's talking about the street smarts of faith. How, how do you how do you live it out? How do you enact it? How do you how do you work it out? And as you begin to to walk in the faith that knows God, and let that begin to supply. God, godliness in your character or Christ likeness in your life then you begin to have this knowledge oh this is how it works to show people what Jesus is like so shaking my angry fist at them in traffic doesn't demonstrate Christ likeness <laughs> now i'm learning and you, and you begin to grow in this in this idea it's the hands on training in living out faith when can i pray for people well, what how can I approach them? How can I begin conversations with them about Christ? These are lessons that we pick up. Paul talks about this in the book, book of Colossians. He says, that's why I work hard and struggle so, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. It's always both and. Paul's saying like, I'm, I'm just going for it because of God's power that's at work within me. He describes this process of striving with all his might because he knows that Jesus is at work within him. And it's, it is in this process that we grow in our practical knowledge of walking with Jesus. So this knowledge then, we know what it's like to sort of walk with Jesus. Now it brings self-control. Knowledge brings self-control. This knowledge informs this idea of controlling ourselves. This is a word that oftentimes in the scriptures is associated with sexual restraint. okay. Because there was a lot of unrestraint in the time in which this was written. Much like our day and age. But generally, it's talking about the ability to control yourself. To get a hold of yourself. Knowledge of Christ and understanding who you are gives self-control. And it's not only head knowledge or conceptual theories. It's practically applied in understanding understanding in relationship with Jesus. It is by his spirit that we have this self-control. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 says for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power and love and self-discipline God gives us the power to be self-disciplined he gives us the ability to be self-disciplined God's empowering presence the spirit of Christ empowers us towards self-discipline and the self-discipline then in our life brings about patient endurance the self-discipline looks like patient endurance Steadfastness is another word that's used to describe this. It's the idea of going through a very rough time and not losing hope, and not losing your mind, and not being full of despair, but enduring it. Because of our faith, Romans 5, chapter 2 through 5 says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. trials because we know that it's developing endurance in us, and that endurance is bringing about godly character. As we grow, we can endure the troubling times which face us. We can stand the storms of life without crumbling or running to other gods. We're not shaken from the great and precious promises that we have in Christ because they were never (coughs) the promise of health and wealth. The prosperity gospel, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) the prosperity gospel, the gospel of health and wealth is a sad lie. The prosperity gospel is a lie because it sets you up to fail. It's telling you that God meant for you to be healthy. God meant for you to be wealthy. God means for you to receive all the blessings in this earth and if you just hold on, you're gonna receive that blessing. And then we face trials and we face hardships and we don't think that those are a blessing we we think that those are not God at work in our life to bring about endurance and we we are false faith in this prosperity God crumbles we're like who this God is nothing yeah I was supposed to get rich I was supposed to get this car I was supposed to get this that and the other thing I was supposed to be healthy he was supposed to answer this prayer I was supposed to get this and now I'm facing hardship If you truly understand God If you have that knowledge of faith You understand this hardship is God At work in my life and I don't lose hope Because I know that this hardship This trial that I face is going to bring about a, A godly character And it's God's will that I should be able To show what Jesus is like to other people Jesus was not rich Okay Jesus was not rich Jesus did not have a home They didn't Barter for his garments because they were the best garments in the world. The prosperity gospel is a lie. And this patient endurance brings about godliness. This one needs little uh, introduction, but Romans chapter 8. It describes what God is doing. He says, God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his Son so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Godliness is, is another word he could replace, is to be like God, to be like Christ, Christ likeness, to, to live a life that looks like Jesus. That's what God is calling us to. So this, this patient endurance then brings about a life that looks like Jesus to other people. Because in our, in our culture, you're not supposed to endure anything. <clears throat> you're supposed to stand up and shake your fist at somebody and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do all the stuff of the American dream rather than patiently endure suffering. <clears throat> so godliness is the practice of following Christ and showing what he's like through your life. And godliness is not something that is an internal thing. Godliness is something that comes out of you, like the smell that was coming out of that classroom this morning, like people just know that somebody did a stink bomb experiment in that room, and now it smells like a stink bomb. That really happened, by the way. There's a box you can look at. Somebody decided to do a stink bomb experiment in the classroom yesterday night, I think, or sometime yesterday, and it was really like, Marty brings me the box. He goes, look, John, look what happened, and I'm just like, harambe like it never ceases to entertain a stink bomb experiment i i tried to keep the box but someone took it from me hope i can get it back godliness just makes you reek like christ it makes people go what what are you smoking man like what why is your life different it's something that people see in other words you just it's not just like i'm godly like i'm gonna keep to myself no, it has to come out to be called godliness.
1: <clears throat>
0: and this godliness brings about brotherly affection. These next two steps are, are kind of easy to understand. Brotherly affection is the word Philadelphia. You guys heard of the word Philadelphia, city, city of brotherly love? Because it's the word for uh, philos, love, adelphia, brother, right? Like you love your brother. So he uses this word Philadelphia. This is This is brotherly affection. And so this patient endurance, it brings you all of this knowledge of God, it brings you into the church, brings you into this weird family that God chose for you. And now you can begin to understand why you need patient endurance. And now he says, "Add that. let that patient endurance be a brotherly affection. And he's talking about brotherly affection. He's referring to the people that are in your church. He's referring to the people that God put around you. These are the people that God has given you to begin to love like Christ, to begin to practice, how do I love these people? How do I uh, take their faults into account? And we have our family, our family family, like our blood family, as an analogy or as a a lesson for us. Families are not like friends, right? Because you chose your friends, right? You unchoose them sometimes. Family, you did not choose. They were just there. They were just around you, and you can't really unchoose them. <coughs> That's a double edged sword. Family, you don't like your family because they like the same stuff that you like necessarily. They're just your family. This is a time of year when everyone gets together with their family, and there's all this nervousness or anxiety or whatever it might be. Maybe it's just joy. Maybe you're just, I'm happy to get out with my family. <clears throat> no matter what family you have, God is saying now. There's a brotherly affection. There's a family love for the people in your church that you need to begin to let all of these things inform. Why am I coughing? Uh, And we begin to work it out within the church. And this brotherly affection leads us then to love. This love of God. He uses a separate word for love, agape. Maybe you've heard it. Doesn't mean a whole lot. Oh, thanks, Bob. It doesn't mean a whole lot to these Greek words because we don't speak Greek anymore, but or some people do. But not this Greek. <clears throat> so we we go from brotherly affection, which is sort of like <clears throat> the safe place to practice loving someone else like Christ. And then it says, and let yourself let that brotherly affection supply a love for everyone. The the self-giving love of God. The love that Jesus talks about when he says, what good is it that you love those who love you? Doesn't the world do that? If you want to be the children of my father, you love those that don't love you. You, you. You love those that persecute you. You pray for your enemies. There's no there's no other sort of teaching in the whole world that says love your enemies. That's bizarre teaching. How how in the world could that be possible? Except that the love of God is we're so filled with the love of God that we can transcend this very the very nature that we've been given and we get a new nature which is the Christ likeness. And it, and we grow in that. We're not nobody's perfect in that. Jesus did it perfectly. We fail in it so many times, <clears throat> loving your enemy, loving everyone, it's, it seems like just an impossible statement, how could I, like I only have so much capacity for love, how could I love everyone, and yet Jesus did it, Jesus loved everyone, even to the point where he, he, he's obedient to the point of death on the cross, and then he says to his father, father forgive these ones, because they don't know what they're doing the people that are crucifying Jesus. He's loving his enemies even to the end. This is the love that that Peter sees in the development of our our growth in the spirit. It's an amazing thing what Jesus did. And even as I stand here, I think I fall fall so far short of of that reality. I fall so far short of loving anyone like Jesus loved them but Jesus loves me. (laughs) And that love of Christ that is in me will work itself out. Imperfectly, but I'm going to grow in it. How does a tree bear fruit? Does it struggle with all its might? Pushing out the fruit? It's an interesting thing. Trees grow, the roots hold them up, they sustain them, and then the fruit begins to come. And when, when God chooses us, Jesus says, I chose you so that you would bear fruit and glorify my Father in heaven. <clears throat> and Peter says this in the end. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind or forgetting that they have been, clo- forgetting they have been cleansed from their former sins. So when we're failing to develop, When we we sort of seem like we're living that same day over and over again, like I've done I've done this before I've made this mistake again and again and again. Peter doesn't say those who fail to develop in this way are evil, or are worthless, or could never change. He gives a reason. He says you're short-sighted. You're just looking at the moment. You're blind. You've let sin blind you. Sin can blind us. Our own desires sometimes blind us, and they put like tunnel vision on. Like, I want that Christmas present. And if I don't get that one, like, I'm going to throw a tantrum. Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. When you're in Christ, you're cleansed from your old sins. You're not chained to these old masters that you used to be chained to, you're set free from these practices that you despise from the the things that you want to grow out of and it goes back to that very beginning knowledge of God understanding his great and precious promises understanding the whole plan of of who God is and what he's called you to be and who he's made you to be in Christ and embracing those things to continue to grow and he and he says so dear brothers and sisters work hard to prove that you're really among those God those God has called and chosen do these things you'll never fail then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, it's good that I remind you of these things. So in conclusion, I just want to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house let us go into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's resolve to make 2019 a year of spiritual growth in our lives. Where do you need to start? Maybe it's knowledge of him. This comes by the word and prayer in a community of believers who practice these things in word and deed. Maybe your faith is established and you're wondering, where do I go from here? Engage in supplementing your faith. The way to strengthen faith is to apply it, to obey God, to put into action. Otherwise, it remains conceptual. This is so subjective. It could be worked out in a thousand different ways. Ask God. Ask those that are close to you in Christ. Ask your church where to start. Perhaps you're already walking in these things and you just needed a reminder and encouragement to keep on. But let God grow you from 2018 into 2019 with a new perspective, with a more sure trust in his promises. And take risks. Expect great things from God in 2019. And attempt great things for God. Father, time is such a weird thing to us. It's clear that we weren't made to live in time, but to live in eternity. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray for Harambe Church that 2019 would be a time of growth. Not Not to fill up the building with people, Lord, but to fill up our hearts with your spirit, that we would grow in maturity, Lord, that we would grow in you, that we would understand all of these things that Peter is saying, that we would pursue them, Lord, with Every part of us. I pray that we would have everything we need for a godly life this year. I pray, Lord, for those people who are facing great need right now that you would meet those needs, Father. Whether it's with more strength to hold up under the struggle, whether it's more patient endurance, whether it's more trust in your promises, whether it's more moral excellence. Father, would you help us to grow this year in you? Would you help us to mature, Father, this year? Let this be a growth spurt for us, spiritually speaking, this year, Father. That we would be able to leave 2019 praising you for what you've accomplished in our lives. And I pray, Father, that you would connect each one of us with your purpose and your plan for the place that we live, for the place that we work, for the place that we were born into, for our family, for our neighborhood, for our schools. Lord, wherever it is that you've placed us, would you help us, Holy Spirit, to walk in obedience to you in those places? Would you help us to just be more confident in who you are and what you've done in our lives? Would you pour out your grace in our hearts, Heavenly Father? Would you help us to run to confession, Lord, when we sin, so that we can be cleansed of all unrighteousness and be forgiven once again? Would you help us, Lord, to walk in your grace this year, to be filled with your spirit this year, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So now we come.